A bit slow on the draw then. I'm trying to get my filters on and making sure it looks pretty. A bit slow there. Good afternoon. I'm Jack Chew. This is Chewing It Over. We go live at lunchtimes on weekdays. And this week, especially, it's been rather laden with brilliant guests. And today's no different. We finished the week with a great thinker, someone who I met recently, a lady called Joe Turner. And we had a, we're meant to have a brief meeting about uh, some things that she's planning in her business for half an hour. And instead, about an hour and a half later, we were talking about self care, compassion understanding coaching practices how they apply within therapies burnout all sorts of stuff like that and which i just like oh, we need to broadcast at least part of this conversation and so we put it in the diary and here she is today so i'm delighted to introduce her in a second we do have some news that's going to go out on social media this weekend we are going to leak the agenda some of the times might be subject to change but basically the agenda for therapy live sport is going to be ready this weekend which is very exciting get your tickets there i think there's only about a thousand left um and so that's uh, that's an exciting thing for you to keep an eye on over the weekend without further ado i'm going to bring bring joe in and we're going to we're going to chew over all things compassion and uh and all things all things self-care i think what I, what I would like to say as well for those that are tuning in live then please do get involved in this conversation or even if you're joining this um after the fact a lot of people watching it in the commutes etc or maybe over the weekend to catch up on it please do send your thoughts on this because it's a very important topic especially at the moment uh, and so please do weigh in on, on your thoughts on on these sorts of things. Like it's an area in which burnout is occurring in many different ways and, and the complexities, particularly those of, the, those of you that are running your own businesses and the complexities around uh, managing uh, all the new policies, et cetera, around COVID means that there's a lot of people under a lot of pressure. And so we want to hear from you. Don't have to be a fully personal story, but I definitely want to be hearing from you. Uh, as to how it might be affecting you and your thoughts on this on this topic. So, anyway, without further ado, hopefully that brings in Joe Turner. Hi, Joe. Hello. Hi. Brilliant. Can you hear us all right? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Brilliant. Yes, absolutely. Can you first introduce yourself to the listeners briefly? Yeah. So I'm I'm Joe. Uh, I am a physiotherapist of I keep saying twenty years, but it's more than twenty years. Time's ticking on. Um, I've spent the last 10 years running quite a large um, multidisciplinary practice in Gloucestershire. Um, my clinical interests in the early days were in pain. I did a, an MSc in pain management probably 12, 15 years ago now. Um, and that has certainly driven a lot of my, my clinical interests. Um, more recently, I spend a lot of time uh, managing the clinic, still do a small clinical load, but a lot of my interest these days is um, as much in the people that work for me as, as uh, my patients themselves. And, and that's that's really driven uh, my interest in coaching more recently. Brilliant. No, well, we'll get we'll get stuck straight into that then. What, what do you do you feel that this is an area that is under discussed or talked to death or somewhere in between? Like, where do you think it is? With these, and what would you even call it? What we're about to talk about, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That the last question is the hardest, probably. <laughs> um, is it is it under discussed or over discussed? I think it depends which part of your network you're in, um, right. and your particular biases, your personality, your interests. Um, I I find that it's something discussed a lot outside my work and discussed a lot in other professions. So I've. Um, had the privilege to work and talk with a lot of lawyers and doctors over the last couple of years and I think the conversation there has been around a lot longer and actually in business as well I think there's been um, much more uh, 
I don't know if there's been conversation between people that actually work in these businesses, but there's been much more awareness of the need to address these issues. Um, rightly or wrongly, I feel that bizarrely physio is a little bit behind, behind the curve um, in this respect. I think we have opened our eyes a lot over the last 10, 15 years as to the complex needs of the patients. But I think we're still working ourselves in quite a, a narrow paradigm and um, our willingness and openness to talk about the complexities of how we show up at work and how we feel at work, I think is, is a little bit of a different issue. I agree with that. But I mean, I'm wondering as to what do you think the mechanism, uh, never one mechanism, but what do you think of the factors at play that are influencing that? Because for me, sometimes people feel that that would be too self-indulgent at a time we should be patient-centered and, and thoughtful and, and understand the complexities surrounding their lives and how it's affecting their presentation. Sometimes people then perceive it to be self-indulgent to instead concentrate on you know, the, the therapist's thoughts and, thoughts and feelings. That's just mm. one aspect. But what, what else seems to be contributing to I, what I agree with, which is that it's not, we, we are behind other disciplines, I would argue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, that term self-indulgence is very quick to come up um, yeah. in our conversations, in our minds, and those little pixies that talk to us, you know, navel-gazing, whatever you want to call it, that those things come up a lot. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not particularly modern or helpful phrases, but they, they do come a lot in our up a lot in our world. And to answer your question, you know, who knows where it comes from, but I have certain theories. Um, so observing myself and the people that I've worked with over the years and the people that are coming up through my practice, um, there are I don't want to categorize everybody because I think that's part of a problem in our profession, but there are similarities. So uh, as a simple term, I think we're good girls and good boys. I think that's where a lot of us started. Um, we probably did pretty well at school. Uh, we possibly developed a, um, a value system around achievement. That's probably where we got a lot of our rewards as children and growing up and through school and university and things like that. And not just achievement, but achievement focused around care, which is an externally focused thing. So I think we, we start without even realizing it um, to develop this process of valuing ourselves according to our output and the benefit of other people, which is, you know, it's not a great surprise. We go into caring professions because we want to care for people. But I think there's, there's a shelf life. And, and you know, for me, I, if I want to put a number on it, I reckon it's about 10 years of, of caring in that way when it starts to feel a little bit too much um, Let's take it back to a physio analogy. So I used to work with a great physio called James Moore, who is, he's a brilliant physio and, uh, you know, he's, he's still doing brilliant things in sport and could talk for hours about complexities of techniques and quote papers for everything. But James was also really good at bringing things down to the nitty gritty. And I remember he used to say to me that tissues fail where the load, when the load that you ask them to take is more than they can tolerate over a prolonged period of time. And it's that last bit, that prolonged period of time. So I think, yes, you can keep giving out and caring and, and being empathetic for, for a certain period of time. But for everybody, I think in their career, there's this tipping point. And then that voice comes in. OK, you're feeling that. That's stage one. You're feeling it. You're acknowledging it. But to do something about it, yeah, that's massively self-indulgent because that completely reverses the paradigm that gives you all your rewards and your, your sense of value. 
so I guess the next stage is realizing that actually you've got to flip that on its head so you know if you're at the stage in your career where you're going to be a leader nobody feels inspired by a husk of a person patients don't feel inspired by a husk of a person who's not taking care of themselves who's not fulfilling their own needs who who isn't taking time to just breathe and think and, and be creative and innovative so I think at some point we have to listen to that terminology accept it's it's part of uh, part of who we are but then start to question it and challenge it and I hope that's where we're at at the point of starting to challenge mm, absolutely yeah I mean it's, it's, there's so much justification from various different places that are making people think that there's so much to be said for getting getting one's shit together um, and and I think that's easier said than done sometimes but also one of the big things is to accept and recognize it in yourself or to for us to recognize it across the profession in order to talk about it more sensibly i just I want to touch on something that i really agree with but i also agree that that uh, with it in part because i see it as being one of the areas that when understood properly gives a good example of where these sorts of things can sometimes become pathological mm. um which is the idea where when someone has been rewarded for achievement based on their the way in which they are seen as being caring and then there are outputs of appreciation based on that so if someone is being celebrated as being a caring person it's often because of the way in which they've made others then feel or behave or improve mm -hmm. in such a way that that is then almost as if it's a donated gift of of compassion that's then been transferred and the reason i say that that's an area in which i see as being sometimes pathological is that it, it sometimes then means that you're you're constantly trying to instead of it being that it's good that I was caring in that way because I cared, because I inherently was, was wanting well for others, if you miss that bit or lose touch with that as to why you're doing it, because it's inherently a good thing to do to, to, to help others, you're, you're, you're bothered more about the, uh, the outputs, the, the, the externalities, that that then leads to a sense of, virtue signaling for want of a better term or it, it don't becomes something that you're then just trying to elicit things especially in a world of social media you're starting to do and say things for effect for the outputs rather than it being genuinely because you feel passionate about actually delivering that care quality and it's hard to recognize that in yourself and i'm not saying that i'm not i'm, I'm, I'm not vulnerable to sometimes that mistake myself but that for me is something that's so central to actual thoughtful self-care and, and and true quality coaching practices makes people realize those sorts of things in themselves rather than it just being all based on the the outputs or the celebrations or the testimonials yeah. it's hard to uncouple those things i mean as i say it seems like you're, you're agreeing in, with that but i also wonder what what do you what other contributors do you think or what, what is it that's making people behave that way do you think it's all cultural in, in history or are there other things central to healthcare or physiotherapy that make us make those mistakes continually um i'm going to answer it with a bit of a presupposition around self-care so um i think self-care and self-knowledge are actually entwined and you can't do one without the other but self-care at the moment is uh, talked about a lot and it's a nice concept um it gets misconstrued you know self-care for me is not going getting a manicure every week <laughs> self-care is deep self-knowledge but the trouble is self-knowledge is messy um 
And to truly achieve self-knowledge, you've got to look at the dark places as well. Um, and I think that's tricky if we continue to talk about us as physios and our persona, looking at our darkness is, is a pretty tricky thing to do. So I think what you've got to do is that there's a there's a persona, um, let's face it, around physio, happy, smiley fixer. Massive generalization, but you know, you ask someone to to describe a physio, it's uh, ask another health professional to describe a physio. They'll say, yeah, they're the positive ones, they're the really dynamic ones, they're ones to get really out of bed, everyone likes to be around physios because they're really fun. And, you know, let's face it, we love that too. I love physios, I love that side of physios, and it's 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 great to be part of that movement. And we certainly don't want to lose it because I think that's what will drive us forward and, and make us the leaders. But you can't be that all the time. And it's yin and yang. Every light side has a dark side. And I think by engaging in good coaching practice that, that gets you to look inside yourself and deeply understand yourself and your reactions and your thoughts and your responses to those and your emotions will make you a better colleague for sure. But more than anything, it will make you a massively better physio. I, I think we are we're natural coaches anyway with our patients. Um, and I think we sometimes run the risk of putting ourselves in, in too narrow a bracket. I was talking to another physio this morning who he came up with a lovely phrase. He said, moving forward, trying to define ourselves, we would be brilliant if it weren't for the title of physiotherapist. Because it's it's got physical in it. Yes, great. But there's so much more that I think we do. Yeah, well, the, con the connotations of professional titles is something I've given so much thought to, especially with my sort of interprofessional work and why we decided to be MSK reform rather than physio reform um, is because, partly because of the, the baggage and, and the things that can be fraught around titles and the semantics of them. So mm. I, I do agree with that. And it's a, it's a, a fantastic quote. I do wonder your thoughts on uh, something I've given a lot of thought to, which is that in sometimes what you're describing is that that, that sunny disposition or, or, or the uh, characteristics that sometimes the stereotypes that do appropriately apply across the profession, especially I'd argue in, in, a, in a sport, in an MSK, in mm. a, a tracksuit wearing <laughs> therapist, uh, but it still applies certainly appropriately across the profession generally. You've got the same sort of disposition that can then G someone up on a medical ward. So I'm not underestimating that correlation. But I'm saying that sometimes that is to some extent becoming a front and it starts to then be something that is a mask that's worn and an obligation that people are stepping into that with the uniform. Yeah. But then sometimes it's not. And that that is sometimes inherent to someone's characteristics in such a way that it is a jarring and inappropriate and bad counselling rather than coaching for someone to go searching for you know, what's underneath it. And sometimes I fear that what occurs sometimes is you've got very thoughtful and often inherently caring people that are trying to expose that, that recognise that sometimes they're guilty of fronting up in that way that then projecting to some people that aren't <laughs> that are just like, well, no, no, actually, you know, piss off, piss off suggesting that there's some darkness underneath this. It might've been a mask for you, but sometimes it's not to me. And I'll admit that I, I recognize both sides in myself. And I think sometimes there can be a bit of a front to it, but as I'm not extroverted by effect, or I'm not doing this sort of mm -hmm. stuff because I'm, you know, actually there's a, the, 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 
you know, so if people to infer that a lot of the characteristics that are inherent in me were just the front, then there's a reason. It's not just defensiveness or fragility that would do that. It would be that you're failing to recognize me and sometimes projecting other things that you've come to expose in yourself on everyone almost painting with too broad a brush. Just wondered what your thoughts were on that and how can we make sure we don't make that mistake if you do agree that it occurs? Yeah, no, I do agree that it occurs and it's, um, yeah, you're, you're really right to bring that up. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, the concept of masks and armors is, armor is, is talked about a lot. Um, there's a paper, it's actually written around, um, it's about uh, firefighters and, and police force, but I think the title of the paper is they could take the uniform off at the end of the day, um, but they couldn't take the armor off. Um, and yes, you're absolutely right. There will be people for whom that persona that we've described is so much their true essence that you know, even if they took their uniform and the armor off at the end of the day, that is still who they are. And and that's great. That's a nice person to be. Um, does physio attract, I'll, I'll take a question back to you. Do you think physio attracts a higher than average proportion of those types of people, people like you, if, if that's who you're describing, than other professions? And is that is that the secret of physio? Is that what we should be aspiring to? I don't know. I don't know. I think what's interesting, just because a friend, and I was nearly about to say former guest on this show, she hasn't actually been on the show yet, but she should. Paula Clayton's just posted some comments saying that she was about to sort of suggest almost what what I articulated, which is that, and I know Paula well enough to know that that, I can imagine that being something that's, uh, you know, we're probably cut from a similar cloth there. Now, I think that two things can happen at the same time. It can, the profession or that side of even wider the industry would be attracting of, uh, people of that of that sunny disposition if we call it that for the sake of argument mm. um, and that personality type that has those corners and aspects of it because they're complex and there are people you know there's going to be other th other sides to it but it's just that what I what I would say is that we've got to this is almost a self-selection by profession can happen. But then you've also got this aspect where it's an it's a place in which masks and armor and, and it being a front can can then be more vulnerable because it's something that might not be in the majority. You know, I've had uh, I've had um, patients as well as sort of colleagues and, and, and others that I've associated with even over the pub that are in the artistic acting space in which mm. sort of like they they admit and even high performance sometimes in, in, in athletic terms can that that people will drop their guard to some extent or feel comfortable enough to admit that their side of the industry is intensely fraught with fronting because of the nature of it literally being yeah. that your skill set is to be to, to provide a, a set of fronts. And that I would argue that if you were to try to psychoanalyze on group physiotherapists through the lens that you might apply to actors or high-end artists that are literally stage performers, it'd be really clumsy. But I, but I sort of think that if we can find a middle ground in which we can apply those things appropriately where, they're ne where, they're, where they are appropriate, then it's going to have more credibility. And the yeah. work that you and I are passionate about, uh, which you know we're probably not going to be able to hit a perfect conclusion on this one, but I hope this is the start of other conversations we can have on this show and elsewhere about how 
there's more success to that project if we are wielding the tool more accurately. Yeah. Whereas, you, I mean, you don't make this mistake, but others, I would argue, in that space sometimes want to infer that if we only went far enough into your psychology, it's like there's an obsession with this sort of Freudian analysis that actually there's some... If, we, if only you'd open up enough, I'd find your daddy issues. Yeah. Right? To, be, to be blunt and clumsy, because I'm blunt and clumsy. But I just mean like as if it's like, no, you know, if it's, only, it's, only a, it's only a sense of fragility. Or and if we do that, if we try and put people through that, I think that that's where, unfortunately, it loses its credibility because it's not fair. And it's also a bit patronizing at its worst, et cetera. Now, yeah. that's a, if we mitigate that mistake, I'm excited for how we can truly unlock the potential and the sunny, the, the, allow that sunniness to transcend people's careers throughout in, and, and avoid burnout, which I want to get to with you now. Um, how we do that, you know, what, what, how do we go about that accurately? And then what do you think predisposes people to, to, to burnout and what, what can we do about that to, to finish? Yeah. Yeah, so I've come to Bernard in a sec and remind me if I waffle on a, on a different tangent, but yeah, you're absolutely right. So there's a spectrum and, and it would be absolutely wrong to, um, to, to only talk to uh, perhaps, you know, one end of that spectrum. I think if we're talking about these kind of interventions, coaching, mentoring, um, compassionate leadership, I like to think of a line. So call that line being basically okay. So you go to work, you function, you're fine, you no particular issues, thing, you're taking along quite nicely. So below that line is where overwhelm, burnout, imposter syndrome, problems with perfectionism may sit. And, and for the people who are there at that time, and it may just be a brief period in an otherwise very, very sunny, happy career, there's some work to do to bring them up to that line. But then beyond that line, there's a really exciting place for physios because you know, essentially, not only have you got that natural optimism and drive, which is what we're putting under this sunny disposition label, but, you know, rightly or wrongly, as was discussed on podcast the other night, we, we select people via A-level grades predominantly. So, you know, we can argue that again, but it's, it's a given that these are people with a certain level of intellect and ability to assimilate data and, and handle multiple bits of input and come out with a good outcome and this essentially optimistic disposition which wants to drive things forward now if that's not a recipe for some fantastic leaders then i don't know what is so so yes absolutely let's let's work with the whole end of that spectrum so for the people that need to be brought up to that line at this moment in time there's certain tools for the people that are already above that line or have got to it and want to go on then you're looking at a totally different um, mode of input now, I know we're running out of time, so and you wanted to talk about burnout. So, oh no, but you um, just teed it up perfectly, though, because it's that that there's the, pre the, the the social pressures that come from what you've just described. Yeah. Is, is a is a you know if we were just classic a classic physio burnout is the fact that that comes with an enormous amount of ex social expectation, and you've yeah. you've you've created it, so you, you've teed up burnout. I'd argue. Yeah, and, and you know to finish it off, burnout doesn't have a, a particularly great definition. I think the WHO definition is a, a syndrome, which is a, a collection of symptoms which come about when workplace stress isn't handled um, correctly or adequately. 
Um, and I find it interesting actually that you rarely get someone say, I burnt out. Most people will say to you, I almost burnt out. So what does that mean? Does that mean you didn't actually collapse on the floor, unable to function? You didn't actually leave your job? You know, what, what is the point at which burnout actually happens? I, I think it's, it's a whole range of things which probably starts with feeling overwhelmed at, at workload. And we have to be careful here because that's an organisational issue. You know, there's an elephant in the room with all these discussions that if you chronically underfund and understaff somebody's workplace, then there are going to be issues. And I think to to say that these problems are always on the individual and that they need to go away and sort themselves out and then they'll be fine is extremely unfair if you're not going to at the same time look at the structural and organisational problems behind it. But yeah, I think it starts with overwhelm. There's a disconnection and you could argue whether that comes from too much giving or um, a disconnection that comes from um, actual mental process that is going on a self-protection that comes in detached compassion as a, is a phrase used um but it's 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 um and it's a line and I'm waffling on now but there is no, no definitive no. definition no you're not i think it, it's really well put i think that it's really good point what you said about how the people don't declare I burnt out they say I nearly burnt out and I think one of the, the key lines there is whether it's coupled with psychopathology that would then lead to them ad admitting or declaring or it being marked as being a breakdown in old 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 money but essentially a a, a psychotic event of sorts in which someone wasn't able to function mm. under normal social norms in such a way that they needed medical attention and if it's coupled with that which doesn't have to be don't get me wrong for it to be appropriate emergency but it's just more that, that that's where people seem to then offer the line of saying that they actually did you know they, they required they required external input in such a drastic fashion of which it was just like a, the, 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 the yeah. jenga tower had fallen down um but you know it's only one way of describing it but i, I think that that's where i i do agree people say nearly um and one of the when one of the times that they don't is when something like that has happened where there's been a more overt catastrophic event or moment or week or what have you um I um, would say, I mean, we started a couple of minutes late, so sod it, we're going at at least 32, because this is fascinating. Um, I want to ask, what do you feel are the the key areas in which you'd encourage people that are tuning into this, um, be that, and especially because, you know, I hope this is going to be an orientation exercise for people to be introduced to you and your work and your thinking, and this conversation to be one of, of a future ones between us that maybe people find useful. It's the sort of topic where people usually want to ponder on it and then get back to us. And so I imagine mm. the feedback will drip in. But what would you say that people would do? What do you think are the optimal resources, reading, listening, watching, thinking? What would you encourage people to do to start thinking in that yeah. direction? I would, I would say first and foremost, start talking. Find somebody, a colleague, a friend, a spouse, whatever, um, to start having a conversation with. Um, I was... Uh, sort of when, when I saw the article on burnout recently in Frontline I was really really pleased to see it and I think it was a well-written article but what I was a little um, dismayed at was that the the suggestion was to find a CSP rep and um, you know I'm, I'm sure I don't want to um, talk down those people I'm sure they they can be a really good starting point but I think it highlighted to me that there isn't a kind of recognized pathway uh, within our um, within our workplaces of how to manage these things um, and 
I, I think if you if you're starting to feel these things yourself, then talk to someone that you can actually talk to someone that will dig a little bit and help you really get in touch with your feelings and and first and foremost feel those feelings allow yourself to feel them articulate them name them um there are there are numerous podcasts and and um books and things that uh, i could direct people to and maybe you know maybe we can put them as links on here afterwards but i think you know we've I would like us to develop within physiotherapy our own network and our own way of managing this in the way that you've described, not to fall down the traps of um, following guidelines from other professions or other organisations, but you know, really work out a system that works for us as physios. And if we're going to do that, we've got to start talking to each other about what our issues actually are to start with. So yeah, I don't know, start a start a Facebook forum in your workplace or a WhatsApp group or something and, and just get the conversation going would be my my first advice. And if you are feeling things yourself, talk about it, but also rest. If you're exhausted and you're overwhelmed, nothing else that you're going to do or say is going to make the slightest mm. bit of difference until you actually acknowledge that you need to rest and replenish. Otherwise, yeah, you'll be pouring fuel on the fire in trying to, you know, you, you're going to cause yourself problems in trying to solve it. Um, so that's a really interesting mm. point. Uh, I, I'm a swan for saying this as we leave, but definitely one thing I'd like to pick up with you in the future, and maybe if you could give your 30 second take on it, but is, do you feel that there, because sometimes the idea of the instinct to say, talk it through, flies in the face of some people who have a natural stoic disposition do you feel that there is a place for stoicism or do you see stoicism as actually being a pathology but let's we could tee up another conversation with it but i just mean if you could just give you a hot take on that direction um my my instinctive reaction is stoicism is a natural protection that we must undergo as therapists if we're going to survive our career. Um, but it's not a sustainable survival strategy. Um, I'll finish with a quick story about years ago treating a minister in London. And um, we were arranging his appointment for the next week. And he asked me, he said he couldn't attend next week because he was, um, he was going away for a two day retreat and to, um, to debrief. And I said, well, that's interesting. And he said, well, you get that surely. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, you're telling me that you work every day listening to people's problems, trying to sort them out, taking all this stuff on, and you get no relief from that and nowhere to offload. And, and that was 20 years ago. Um, so, yeah, stoicism or detached compassion, if you like, are a necessary part of our job, but I don't think it's a sustainable way to function mm. year on year. Well, treat, treating ministers can give many insights and, and also they do their exercises religiously. So I'll finish with that <laughs> terrible joke and thank you for your time. We will speak again soon. Really appreciate you and, uh, and hope people can, can uh, certainly find more of your stuff. We're going to be projecting more of it, absolutely. But thank you and we will rush off air because we're in overtime. Again, Thanks, Jack. Take care. Speak soon, Jack. Bye-bye.